is the Amazon Planet Podcast, Episode 12, Visiting Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I am your host, Joel Amadon, and I hope this recording finds you well. Thank you for taking the time and effort to seek out this podcast and listen. I know there are many choices out there, and I also know that your time is valuable, so let's just get into it. This episode of the podcast features the book, The Good Neighbor, The Life and Work of Fred Rogers by Maxwell King. Now, there's a story behind this book. You're going to hear about it in the episode, but when I was thinking about episodes for the podcast and I saw that the movie, uh, the Mr. Rogers movie that's going to be coming out on November 22nd and the, night, the day we're recording this is the 18th, and I thought, hmm, this would be a good thing to do. This would be a good thing to do. And I thought, who would be a good person to go get and read this book and, and talk about it with me? Because as I'm finding out, these episodes are so much better when they're with somebody else. So I was looking for a good partner in crime, and I found one. And that's my, my good friend and colleague, Dr. Ann Monroe. Now, you heard Dr. Ann Monroe on episode 10 in the Opportunity to Develop. She and I did a presentation uh, with our colleague, Candice Cook, up in Nashville for the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics Conference. And so you heard about her talking about some of her learnings about, I believe, standards-based grading uh, in that episode. But anyway, she's back. She's back to talk uh, about Mr. Rogers. And she has uh, some passion for Mr. Rogers. You'll get into that in the episode. But a little bit about her, because she doesn't talk about herself that much, and I want to brag on her a little bit. She is, so Dr. Ann Monroe is Assistant Dean and Director of Assessment and Associate Professor uh, of Teacher Education in the Department of Teacher Education at the University of Mississippi. She's fantastic. Um, she has won several awards for her teaching and service, including her most recent award, which is the Elise M. Hood Outstanding Teacher for the University of Mississippi. That's not for the School of Ed. That's not for the Department of Teacher Ed. That's for the whole university. And that, in my opinion, was an honor um, due uh, to her. Uh, her teaching is fantastic. There's a lot that can be learned from her and her passion, not only for her students, but not her students' students. And you're going to hear about that in the episode as well. And just excited uh, for you all to, to listen to this episode. So, so let's, let's not delay anymore. Um, but before we do that, just a reminder that the purpose of the Amazon Planet podcast is to learn how to teach better. And I can't think of better content to go through than this book. And especially with regards to reading a purpose statement like this, because when you read a purpose statement like this and then you read a book like Mr. Rod, you know that you need to follow a statement like this up with some action. Or better yet, that your actions are the statement. But anyway, we give the statement as a kind of a lead-in always to the podcast. And the goal of the podcast, my own personal goal, is to lead people to love others through teaching. Um, you know, and following in the footsteps of someone like Fred Rogers. And just, again, um, and as you'll, you know, as we say all the time, we're going to talk about this book by Maxwell King about the life and work of Fred Rogers. It's not going to come near to capturing all the brilliance uh, of Fred Rogers in this book. And really, the, this was a passion project of Maxwell King and and talking with um, the family of Fred Rogers after he passed. You're like, you know what? This needs to be done. This biography needs to be done. It needs to be written. It needs to be captured so it can be shared. And I'm so glad that they made the decision to share uh share his life, share Fred Rogers' life with people through this book. And so anyway, we're not going to be able to cover this whole book. We're not going to capture it in its entirety. What you hear is our perspectives on this book. If you like what you hear, you know what I'm going to say. 
go get the book for yourself. Links to purchase the book can be found in the show notes at AmazonPlanet.com forward slash episode 12 or seek it out wherever you buy high quality books like this one. If possible, try to support your local bookseller like Square Books here in Oxford, Mississippi, which I believe is where this book came from. All right, no more delays. Here's my discussion of The Good Neighbor, The Life and Work of Fred Rogers with Dr. Anne Monroe. Enjoy. And Monroe, thank you so much for, or Dr. Monroe, thank you so much for being willing to come on the podcast and talk about Mr. Rogers. Absolutely glad to be here. Fantastic. I was in the neighborhood. Hey! How long have you been holding on to that one? <laughs> I just thought of it. Uh, no way. I come did. on. Yes, I did. <laughs> I'd have written that one down. All right. Um, so we're here to talk about the book, The Good Neighbor, The Life and Work of Fred Rogers by Maxwell King, and... We got this book, was it last year? I believe it was last year. Well, I'm well not, no, it was the beginning of this. I think it was when last was year. It? Was it last year? I think last, it was last spring, I think. Anyway, so last year, uh, so at the School of Education here at the University of Mississippi, there's a book club that's been going on since before I came here. Mm-hmm. Um, and KB Malier has been operating it since uh, since I've gotten here. And they select a book, and the book, and, and then they use it as a, uh, an object of conversation over a semester. And this was a selection last year sometime, last academic year. And I got the book, you got the book, and wanted to talk about it. And I, I actually didn't get a chance to participate in the book club. So I've had the book and didn't necessarily read it at that time. Right. But we'll keep that between us. Okay, I won't tell. <laughs> And didn't get a chance to participate in the discussion because of classes or schedule. That's the excuse we'll go with. But saw that the movie was coming out. Yes. And I know you like Mr. Rogers a lot, and I thought, hey, why don't we read this book uh, together and talk about it? Absolutely. So why Mr. Rogers? Well, for me, um, as a child, I grew up and I watched Mr. Rogers. So he was on television um, doing new episodes when I was... Uh, probably a wee bit older than his normal audience, I believe. And I didn't even know this, but uh, after reading the book, that he stopped for a little while in the 1970s. And during that hiatus he had where he went and did some programming for adults and then later came back to the neighborhood, that was like the time where I would have been the perfect age for Mr. Rogers, but there were no new episodes. I think they were still airing um, reruns, I believe the book said. But regardless, I do remember watching Mr. Rogers as a child. And I liked it. Um, I particularly loved when he would go and visit like a factory and show you how something was made. I, I particularly remember episodes where they made crayons oh, and yeah. graham crackers. I thought that was the bomb. Uh, my very, very favorite part of Mr. Rogers was um, not when he went to the land of make-believe when Trolley went, uh-huh. but when he was in his kitchen and he got the figurines down that looked like yeah, the yeah, yeah. buildings and uh-huh. uh, structures in the land of make-believe. And he didn't do that very often, but I just like would hope every episode that he was going to take those down. <laughs> I don't know why I like that. It was like, it was sort of the models yeah, yeah. of the land of make believe that he had in his kitchen. He kept them like above the refrigerator or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just remember, you know, enjoying that. Um, I watched a lot, some other, um, you know, television for children, probably more frequently than Mr. Rogers, but I did watch him. When my real affinity for him came as an adult, and particularly as a parent, when my son was watching they, the, our particular PBS station that we get, one of the stations we get, aired old Mr. Rogers episodes. By the time my child was watching, Mr. Rogers had died. Mm-hmm. And But 
uh, we still loved watching the episodes. And of course, every time I watch an episode, I cry. <laughs> so it's just, it's because the work that I do, the things that I like to talk about and what's important to me uh, as a teacher who teaches teachers is making sure that our teachers understand the importance of emotional and social development and the, the role yeah. that they play as a classroom teacher in that really important type of development. It's just what's important to me. Uh, the kids' emotional well-being is oh, extremely yeah. important to me. The research that I do is surrounds that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm particularly sensitive to those kinds of topics and the way that uh, adults approach children. And when Mr. when you watch Mr. Rogers as an adult, you know, you pick up on things you do not, you know, you, you see the reality of what he's doing right. and why he's doing it. And so every time I'd watch with my son, I would cry, <laughs> I would cry at the episode. And... Um, and so I even started writing. I was like, I need to write about this. I even started a, the opening of, an, of a manuscript where it's, it's called Mr. Rogers Makes Me Cry. And then the, just when we, when we took up this book for the book club, I was like, I need to get back to that. Yeah. Like, it's been a year or so. I looked back, it had been like seven years. I mean, you know, time just good that I had written that because I said my son's uh, four now and he's, what, 12? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, it had been a while. But anyway... Uh, so we, we love Mr. Rogers. He's just one of my heroes um, just because he, I think what was important to him is what's important to me. Yeah. And I felt like he, um, you know, he just got it that, and yeah. the, it was doing it. Yeah. You know. And that's, I, mean, I, think, I mean, even just on a very surface level, you know, when you're talking about going to the factory, mm-hmm. that's probably why they did that show, you know, how things are made. Yeah. You know, and they go in and they just show exactly like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, that's Mr. Rogers, right? Yeah, there. It's, yeah, it's really neat. You know, yeah. it's something you wonder about. It's something you. How do they make? Toilet how paper? do they make? Yeah. How do the graham crackers get in those little wax paper, you know, containers? How, right. You know, um, it's just really. There's so many Mr. Rogers episodes, and some of it I can't remember if it's did I see that or was as a child or was I watching that with my child mm. with my child? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of the ones I know distinctively, um, but just the way that he, um, you know, approached children the language he used the way he used the language and just to me the the honest way in which he um you know thought about how children might be thinking about something or yeah. what might be bothering them mm-hmm. and you know that and, and as a teacher we're doing that all the time you know thinking about what 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 might a student when I, if i say this or if i say it this way how might they take it mm-hmm. might there be a misconception could yeah. i explain it better you know very careful language and i right. think to some extent, some of his critics are, you know, that was what they were critical of. But it's exactly what he was doing. I mean, it was so purposeful. That's and it's right. what made it so, it was so important to what he did, um, was just the carefulness and the way he chose the language and how he chose to explain things and the honest nature in which he, he did things and approached topics that were done in a different way on his show than they were done anywhere else. And that's what, I mean, and that's my appreciation coming out of the book. And just... We didn't watch Mr. Rogers all that much in my house, and but I, I mean, obviously knew who he was and knew you know some of the things, but didn't wasn't really a diehard watcher of Mr. Rogers. But then you look at you know just the memories I had and the the things I when I did watch and looking at the intention that he designed into everything and how how we want that. I mean, you think about some of the you know, most popular shows right now or something like that. You look at the intention and design and why you why they're doing what they do. Like, oh, that's so good and that's so good. When every everything was painstakingly designed in 
Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, where it was going in between make believe and you know his you know the neighborhood, right? And like how he thought about that and thought about those transitions and not wanting to confuse people, even when he had you know one of the famous and there's a picture in the book, the famous uh, episodes when he had the Wicked Witch of the West, right? Who, which probably represented fear. For everyone. For me, I did. Yeah. <laughs> she freaked me out. Yeah, everything. And I love that movie, but she, every time she came on the air, it oh. made me so nervous. Oh, yeah, when she's yeah. You know, in the tornado and she yes. turns into the witch and is like, oh, my gosh. And you probably think, like, I mean, for me, that that movie was shown every Thanksgiving, right? Like, the Wizard, right. it was probably shown every year. Right. And it was it was an event because, you know, there's only four channels yep. or whatever. And, uh, man, that's, we sound old. We are so old. <laughs> but watching that, you know, the flying monkeys and the Wicked Witch I remember the when there were only three channels, Joel. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow, <laughs> 33% more. <laughs> it got better. Uh, but looking at that movie was like, you know, and you know, when she turned into the witch or when the flying monkeys are happening, like, that represented fear. And he like he's like, ah, I'm going to see that. I'm going to... I'm going to take that apart. I'm going to show you the difference between real and fantasy and mm-hmm. show how she just, you know, is this nice lady all of a sudden like, wait, wait, she's putting on the stuff. Now she's the wicked witch. And like, but just mm-hmm. totally took that down and like addressed the fear. Of yeah. That. And it wasn't about that. The movie's bad or it's bad to be scared. Is that it's okay to be scared if you know, it's fun mm-hmm. and you know, it's make believe and, right. and you're doing it for, you know, but also to know that we, you know, it's, there's not, magic behind everything that right. it's you know it's make-believe and so we have we can control you know we can decide you know what i need to remember that's just that real lady i know right and so if it if it gets overwhelming for us we have the ability to to put it in perspective yeah. and he's giving that gift to the children you know that yeah. it, this is what's really happening mm-hmm. it's fun to be scared but sometimes it's not fun to be scared right. yeah. you know what's the reality of it and mm-hmm. giving them control yeah and i think you know in a in in life, children have very little control. Yeah. Um, and they, they learn that they do have, that they have more control than they thought. But the problem is that a lot of times they're powerless because of the adults. You know, they, they, the adults around them have the power. Right. And a lot of times the adults around them don't teach that they, you know, how to, how to use, teach children how to use their power. And, yeah. And so uh, a lot of things are out of children's control. So I think he introduced ideas that were saying, you have control. You have, right. here's knowledge. Yeah. Here's how this works. You know, going to the factory, this kind of thing. That's part of giving children, you know, um, control back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and even just looking at how they have some examples of how he responded to kids' questions with the letters in the back. And mm-hmm. some were pretty pretty darn funny when, yeah. you know, like the question's like, you know, never seen you poop, yeah, Mr. Rogers. Yeah, the bathroom, yeah, yeah, I don't like, think you do. Yeah, and like he's, you know, there's a little bit of difference between what you see on TV and my real life, but yeah, yeah. I, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Uh, all right, so uh, excited to talk about this book. Want to get into the categories, want to honor your time, and uh, but let's let's think about uh, the first category, and it's the high five, so Tom and I sent you the categories, and mm-hmm. I see you got notes, that's fantastic. Yes. Um, and you've got some some dog-eared pages as well, and I've got some post-its, so we're good to go. Um, so, for, so why don't you kick us off with what's one of your top learnings that you took from Mr. Rogers? For me, from yes. my perspective. Yep, from your perspective. Um, what really struck me, and particularly one of my favorite parts of the book, and it's sprinkled throughout, but there was a um, a, a thicker section of it where they talk about his work with um, the arsenal mm. 
and um, Dr. The soccer team? No, no, not that one. This is the Child Development Center at the university. And that was started by uh, Dr. Spock, Dr. Spock was one of the main... Famous. Right. And so so, um, Fred went to study there. And he studied under Dr. McFarlane. I think it was Margaret McFarlane. Mm-hmm. Margaret McFarlane. It's a huge influence on him. And, of course, Dr. Spock was there, Benjamin Spock. And um, Eric Erickson would yeah. come, which was amazing. Which I, did, I, mean, I was like, what? Um, which we teach I about. Just we teach te- about yeah. I was just teaching Erickson's Eight Stages of Man in my class. So, um, you know, all these influential people. And then T. Barry Brazelton, which is one of, who was one of my favorite people. Um, really, basically sort of the very similar, not exactly similar to Dr. Spock, but a prospective pediatrician that mm-hmm. had outreach and books and things that parents really um, held on to. And my mom was a big fan of Dr. Brazelton, and I was introduced to him as a child yeah. through her wow. about his work and the books that he wrote and those kinds of things. So, you know, I thought that was really, really interesting. But the take one of the takeaways for me was this idea, and after reading, it's not like I didn't know, but I guess I didn't think about it because I teach human development. I teach child development and I teach uh, these theories like Eric Erickson's Eight Stages of Man and Piaget and Vygotsky and all of these mm-hmm. folks. And in the book talks about how this, this you know, the ways of thinking about uh, early learning and child development are relatively new. Mm-hmm. And so it made me kind of think about when I teach this to my students and I talk about the importance of social and emotional development, particularly cognitive development, obviously, as teachers, but how you really can't separate social, emotional, cognitive development. They all go together. And how they are also pioneers. It's that new. Mm -hmm. It's not been that long. I mean, here here is Fred Rogers with Eric Erickson, (laughs) you know, at the arsenal. And how, you know, and the book just really, it kind of just, slap me in the face with it. It's not that I didn't know. It's not that I didn't know when Erickson was doing his work or when Vygotsky wrote and how long Piaget was around and all that kind of stuff. I, I know this, but it just kind of hit me that the the way that I feel is really important to think about how children learn and their emotional and social development is relatively new. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's been around a long time, well, yeah. you know? And so it it kind of, you know, one of my high fives or my takeaways is, this idea that I that I want my students to know that that they're uh, they can be pioneers in this area when they go to their school and they say you know wait a minute we need to think about how we're doing this or mm-hmm. this really isn't developmentally appropriate or this isn't the way children need to be introduced to this or maybe we need to speak differently to the kids or right. maybe this isn't a great practice mm-hmm. um, that they can be pioneers it's that new in right. terms of science I mean yeah. it's not been that long um, and there's still controversy around it. I mean, I've got pages in the book here, dog-eared, when, I, when I'm like, oh, that's just like the um, what the controversy around reading instruction and, and how do we, you know, how much of it is science and how much of it is the whole child and how much of it is this and about testing and all right, of these right. kinds of things. All of these things are b- still being talked about. How much, uh, Im- how much um, importance do we place on cognitive development versus social and emotional development in mm-hmm. school? Uh, why are they separated? Right. Why do we focus on one more than the other? You know, when they, those types of things, those are still things that are being talked about and discussed and challenged. And uh, I want my students to feel like they're pioneers, that, that they can learn about this and they can go and make change like Fred Rogers did. Right. Well, and the fact that he leaned on these people. And what was cool about the group of scientists that were here and then with Fred Rogers is that they were trying to create things that, 
could get in the hands of the people that could use it, right? Mm -hmm. They weren't just on the ivory tower talking to each other. Right. But they thought about how do we, like, Spock had the book, and and then Fred Rogers has a TV show, and McFarlane's offering advice, and you, you know, you obviously got some things from your mom and Brazelton. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Barry Brazelton. And then, so, like, that that was important, right? That Mm -hmm. what they did wasn't just, you know, for their own knowledge or to, you know, share at conferences or just write paper. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, how do we get this into the hands of the people that need it? Yeah. And and Fred Rogers was pioneering what it looked like in media. <laughs> yeah. Right? What does yeah, this yeah. look like in television? What are what are these concepts and he is about human development, emotional development, social development, um, look like when it, in TV, I mean, what right. does it look like in Versus terms of economic media? development, which Correct, is what was which is happening. Which is what he was completely then disgusted him, <laughs> yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that purity of, the purity of his mission, I think, is what, is what really, <clears throat> was real, is really what makes him great. Is mm-hmm. that the singular focus on, um, this is important. And this is what it this is what it should look like in media, and this is you know this is how it should be, and that those exacting standards that the book talks about right. that he had oh, yeah. are all part of that, right? Yeah. If you're going to do it right, mm-hmm. if this is true about child development, then we have to do it right. Right. It's like if we don't, then we're ignoring what we know to be true. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea of either if you're going to do it, do it the best, right. and if it's for kids, it better be the best. It better be good. Yeah, that could be. So I, mine kind of that touches on that same thing. I was just this idea of starting with the child, mm-hmm. you know. And so, and this actually, came, I just got back from a conference, and we kind of heard this a couple times where it was, you know, we're talking about teaching or talking about analysis of, you know, what's what the teacher is doing. But then it's like, but what does it mean for the student, right? What does it mean for the student? What does it mean for the child? And that's what, it seemed like that was his vote. Like, what does this mean for the child? If we say this, how does it, might a child? take it up and like almost to a maddening sense when he's talking about you know well not maddening but like when he's talking about when someone is like talking about how you take something a script and translate it into mr rogers talk like how many steps there were to that right, <laughs> like there right. was many many i love steps. that part of the book. oh my yeah, gosh that's it was, great yeah well, they took a they took an example and yeah, walked yeah. it through his they called it fred freddy's or he's talking about the language yeah, of Fre- freddish translation yeah freddish freddish yeah. translation i thought that was great yeah yeah for, to take something like it's dangerous to play in the street yes and all the way to step nine is uh so your favorite grown-ups can tell you where it is safe to play. It is yeah. important to try to listen to them, and listening is an important part of growing. Yes. That's the ninth step. Yes, going through. I and, love it. I love that. But, I mean, it was. It was true. Like, yes. All these, all these steps that you had to go through and, like, thinking about what might take place in the mind of a child. Yes. Like, and that, that part of the book, Joel, is where I've got notes about this is what skilled teachers do. Mm. It's exactly what skilled teachers do. They worry about how do I say this? Is what I was mentioning before. Right. How do I say it where it's not? There's no misconception. Mm-hmm. How do I clear up misconceptions? Right. And so um, this, when they took this piece through, this is you know we have to think about this. We have to think about this. And then even part of it, there's um, 
I don't know if you're familiar with conscious discipline. It's a approach a bit, yeah, yeah. by Becky mm-hmm. Bailey. Mm-hmm. And so this whole idea about rephrase your new statement, repeating step one, good as a personal value judgment. So you don't want to put that in there. You want to say your favorite grown-up can tell you where it is safe to play. It is important to try to listen to them. Instead of it's good to listen to them, mm-hmm. take out the good. It's a value judgment. Right. That's a such a uh, uh, conscious discipline approach, yeah, yeah. you know. Is what Becky Bailey would say. You don't. Why do you need to? Ju- why do you need to pass judgment? Just say what it is that mm-hmm. um, you know. You know what it is you want them to do. Is it, what, that it's important, right? You know. Uh, so I just thought I was like, that's Becky Bailey's conscious discipline. I mean, it's all. Um, you know, he was a he was teaching. Obviously, he taught. I think is he felt as. I mean, he was a teacher in a certain kind of way for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, the way he approached it is the way good teaching is what good teaching looks like. Yeah, and, and so I had some other, like, just how the perception, and again, for those that the book, uh, I would highly recommend picking it up, but, like, the anxiety of a haircut, you know, mm-hmm. and thinking about that, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, his famous song, What Do You Do With The Mad That You Feel, like, you know, I'm just when thinking... you feel so mad you could bite, I feel like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Chill. <laughs> 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 exactly, I mean, and, and exactly, like, to... That sort of thing. I mean, I even just had an exchange with my son this morning, and he's trying to get this toy separated, and and probably had a lot of anxiety. This is one of his favorite things, and he mm-hmm. couldn't. And I'm like, I'm like, we got to get to school, but this thing is like, he thinks it's broken, and it's this one of his favorite things that he has, and like, you know, I didn't honor it that in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't honor that mm-hmm. like those feelings and like the anxiety and the you know the fear that his favorite toy might be broken, and just saying, hey, we got to hustle and get to the car, and like, you know. Mr. Roger wouldn't do that. And then one of the heartbreaking stories, well, not heartbreaking, I mean, just that shows the kind of guy he was. I mean, somebody walks up to him in a restaurant, a little boy walks mm-hmm. up to the restaurant, barely he can see the, the top of the table and comes up to Mr. Roger and just said, my puppy died. Mm-hmm. And, like, what does he do? He gets down, gets with him, mm-hmm. and just starts talking mm-hmm. about death with the puppy in the middle of this restaurant. Yeah. You know, and just, that was just uh, amazing. And, and the fact, too, that it wasn't just he had some ideas and put those ideas into play on a TV show and it was very meticulous. No, no, he's put these ideas into play, but he also studied, right? He also right. checked with Dr. McFarlane and and, right. and Bonset because he wanted to do things right and he wanted mm-hmm. to make sure if we're looking at something from a development p- developmental perspective, whatever we know now, because, again, they were on cutting edge of uh, development with some of the big minds that they had at the Ar- Arsenal Center, and how do we do this right is what I'm saying uh, correct, for lack of a better term. Like, how can we make this the best way to approach this topic? Whatever it is, because he, he tackled some tough topics. How is what we're doing as appropriate as it can be? Right. And that's, yep. that's what he did. So um, mine, I'll, I'll go with one. So, and this is an easy one. Action, oh, I did, I, I'll do it. I'm going to do a second one. Okay, Sorry, I got a second one, too. Yeah, a second one. Yeah. So we're going to get to five, eventually. Okay, I have two. I bet <laughs> But I could come up with oh, about three. 50, but oh, I yeah, wrote yeah. down two. Okay. Well, that's, I, had, I, had this, um, I had this set up as a quote to mention. Oh, shoot. Darn it. It's about making choices. Oh. Darn it. Is it, is it, the, is it my number two? Is it your number two? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do that. Do we have the same one? No, no, yeah, yeah, no. Okay, so my number two takeaway for the high five um, is, and it comes from this quote, 
It says, you rarely have time, this is a Fred Rogers quote, you rarely have time for everything you want in this life, so you need to make choices. And hopefully your choices can come from a deep sense of who you are. And so my takeaway from this, that really spoke to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And my takeaway is that I need to focus most on the change that I hope to make in teachers. And... And obviously that's something I'm, it's important to me, but a lot of other things get in the way of that. Other work commitments, responsibilities, et cetera. And so I felt like that that's a message for me to take away that I need to focus my efforts on what I feel is lacking in schools and what I feel are the most pressing needs for students. And for me, that's social and emotional support Mm -hmm. from everyone in the school setting, not just teachers, but teachers, personnel, administrators, bus drivers, cafeteria workers. I have a, really strong opinions about how our schools are not meeting the social emotional needs of our children mm-hmm. for the most part they're not yeah. and I walk into schools and I see things constantly I'm turning left and I'm turning right and I see things that just should not be happening mm-hmm. and it's things that are under the control of the adults in the school the way the kids are talked to uh, the way they're managed in school uh, the way they're overly controlled mm-hmm. um, the focus on on things that aren't as important as to focus on that they should be focusing on the emotional and social support they're they're getting or not getting and so i it just made me think you know here here is this thing that i'm really passionate about and i do work on but i don't spend the majority of my time anymore working on that and i think that makes me sad so you know it's kind of like a wake-up call mm. that quote right. you know that's well, that's what i took from it yeah. and i took from it more from a professional perspective not necessarily a personal perspective. Um, but I think you can look at it from a personal perspective as well. But I tend to do what I want <laughs> <laughs> personal. I don't have as, you know, I don't, I mean, I, I, there are other things I'd like to do more often, but I, th- that really spoke to me in a, pro- in a professional way. Yeah. Um, where I feel like a lot of times I don't, I'm not, I should be making uh, a more concerted effort to get back to what I'm, I'm really passionate about in my work. And that is, I mean, that, that is one thing that's about this job of being a professor and you have all these different avenues and sometimes it, without meaning to, you can get pushed off into certain directions and mm-hmm. things and whatnot. And yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you want to be helpful. You want to do, you know, your job well. And um, so you get distracted, mm-hmm. I guess. And so I kind of, that, it just sort of was a message to me to, you know, get back to what I'm interested in. I was actually going to use that quote to open up the high five, just saying there's lots of choices. That oh. we, we only have so much time for the pocket. Good thing I didn't do that because yeah, that no. just would have stole your thunder. I would thunder. have taken my second wow. high five. Yeah. And that would have been probably some anger coming from your side. Anyway, probably. probably not. All right. No so. biting, I promise. <laughs> what do you do with the mad you feel? All right. Well, that that gets tied in with with my second uh, high, uh, learning was that actions are greater than words. And I mean, and you just saw that over and over, like the amount of stories that he had, and just while people didn't believe that Mr. that Fred Rogers was real, I mean, I want to say Mr. Rogers because that's a character, mm-hmm. but it it actually wasn't really. I mean, it was like who yeah, he was. That's, who, that's what everyone said, right? In the yeah. book, that's, that's there's there's not a difference, right? Yeah, and it just and people were like, this he can't be real. Like, what's the and like all the stories about you know, who he really was and like all you know these rumors about and right. like, none of them were true. No. It's just like because people just couldn't believe that there's someone that and and he's a big man of faith 
and he looked to see how those lessons that he saw in faith could actually come to play in his work, and you saw this continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a there's a it's a misquote, but it's there's a quote out there from Saint Francis of Assisi that you should preach the gospel in everything you do, and if it, if if necessary, use words. It's actually <laughs> It's a misquote. But anyway, but the intent behind good idea, though, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right. a good idea. But the intent is kind of like what, you know, Mr. Rogers is, is doing in, in his work is he's showing these actions. And he, and he saw some people doing that same thing. Like one of the, his uh, teachers from seminary would always show up without a coat in the wintertime yeah, because he would give it away, yes. right? Yeah. He would give it away. And like, yeah. and even thinking, you know, it, going into, you know, he was a, Mr. Roger was a Christian, but he looked into all sorts of faiths. But I mean, he primarily mm-hmm. identified as a Christian. And you look at some of the teachings of, of of Christ, and he talks about like the importance of children. And it's like it almost made sense that oh, well, obviously, if you're going to deal with it, I'm going to deal with the youngest children because those are the ones that you know Jesus showed you know honor to in in situations where they weren't normally honored, mm-hmm. right? And even thinking about his own childhood, where he was brought up in a place where, you know, uh, you know, at, during a time when children were better seen right. and not heard, but yet in his family, you kind of saw this sort of honoring of, of ideas and creativity. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even like when he, the story of him purchasing the piano, Mm-hmm. Uh, and, his grandmother sending him down. Yeah, yeah. He picked it out. Like this kid coming in and, and like, he comes back with the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, coming in with a yeah. I'll take that Steinway and I'll be back with a check. And like, wow, <laughs> like Mr. Rogers. There I you love go. that story. Yeah. No, and that I think all, kind of off of what you said, and part of and part of I and I remember reading this, and maybe it was one of those you know, like you said, urban myths about Mr. Rogers. But I feel like I read it, but and it makes more sense than like he was a Navy SEAL or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that, that but that he common. had he was really interested in Buddhism. I mm-hmm. think he was interested in all religions based on the book. You know, he was he was obviously a Presbyterian minister, but right. he had interest in he had books. They said next to his bedside table about yeah. all religions, awesome. and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he had an interest in Buddhism mm-hmm. and from from something else I'd read. But I think the strain the, the the strand, and this word was only mentioned once in the book, and but everything spoke around this. It's a this is this it's the same idea. So it's the idea of compassion. Mm-hmm. So it's a Buddhist. It's you know it's one of the Buddhist teachings that um, you know life is suffering, and I believe that um, th- there was one section I can't remember exactly. There's a quote from Mr. Rogers about um, that about pain. I can't remember about life is painful, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. So it's this idea that life is suffering. I mean, it's kind of an odd idea. Yeah. And that compassion is important. That's a Buddhist, you know, teaching. And this idea of compassion for others' humanity. And in the, set, in the book, they talked about um, how, obviously, Fred Rogers was a really, you know, religious person and uh, faithful to his religion and all that. And um, he was about, I think it was him that said, there's a whole section about him saying about kind of pointing out that Jesus was a human. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. this idea it's that about, it's, yeah. it's humanity that, um, you know, that Fred, I think, connected with. Yeah. And so, well, you know, when you think about someone's humanity and if humanity is pain or is suffering, then what you do to alleviate that pain is compassion. You know, that's you showing compassion. Mm-hmm. And I think that's at the heart of what 
Fred Rogers was all about was compassion, yeah. right? Compassion for everyone, but particularly for children. Mm-hmm. And if you think about where where are children? What are you know? What are they thinking? What are they fearing? This is all from a place of compassion, right? And that word was used once, but it that that but everything else that was said really is the same thing, yeah. You know, but that's and I had just read I just read somewhere that he that he. Um, you know, was interested in Buddhism and the teachings and all of that, and I, I, ha- I have to think that's true after reading this. I don't know where I read that, yeah. but that just that word, mm-hmm. I think, is um, it's you know speaks to who he was. Well, even thinking, you know, so at school of ed, we have our undergrads, and they create a portfolio that they're all love doing. And one of the things that we have in the portfolio is this philosophy statement. Now they create this longer paper that they condense down into what I like to say is a pocket-sized version of a philosophy statement that, you know, you, something you could take with you that you, you can, if I, like for me, I, I like to lead people to love others through teaching. That's that's my thing. So if I take that with me and then think about how do I make decisions based off of that. And I think you see that with Fred Rogers in that he looks at a situation and, and kid comes up, says my puppy died. What, what does he do? Like in a split second, he's on the floor talking to the kid. Cause it was about compassion is right. about showing love to this kid about, right. about, about honoring, honoring their fears and their questions. And, you know, and you think about all these sorts of stories that are in, um, in the book where it's these scenarios, these real life scenarios, you see how he acted out, his basically his philosophy and you see you see what he stands for and what he does and it was basically to, that i'm going to take this thing that i believe and i'm going to make it come to life right mm-hmm. you're going to see it in my actions and i'm mm-hmm. going to try to avoid being a hypocrite and like I, I love it in one of the um one of the episodes they talk about uh santa and they you know talk about good but the quote in there was you know, good people aren't good all the time. They're just trying to be, right? Yeah. And it's like... That was a Daniel Tiger. Yeah. Con- right, then Daniel Tiger was concerned about Santa Claus coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And which, again, speaking to fears, right? Right, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah. Um, but, like, thinking, like, you have this thing, you have this flaw, and you're going to try to live it out on a day-to-day basis. You're going to see that through your actions. Um, and I just wish... You know, more often, you know, people would, well, I, I'll, I'll put it on myself. I wish I more often would take the time and think about my actions and try to make sure I'm aligning it to these things I profess about myself or or just that maybe I don't have to profess it, that just my actions will speak out to it. Mm-hmm. So I just love that. I mean, just, I mean, over and over again, I was outline, underlining stuff like action, action, right. action. And, and, but then, you know, again, you saw it with, his family and the people that he surrounded himself with, they were doing the same things. And like, like, like his grandfather, um, you know, he was playing on the wall and I think his mom wanted him to get down because he thought he'd get hurt. Like, no, let him climb the wall. Yeah. Let him explore. Yeah. Right. And you saw like, that was really big to him. Yeah. You know, that's another thing you don't know (laughs) as adults. We, we don't, you never know things. What's big and important to a child. We make assumptions because we of what we think is big and important to an adult. That's mm-hmm. not the same thing as what's big and important to a child. Right. Like that little statement made a huge impact on him. Yeah. And he was talking about it later in his seventies. <laughs> you know, it's just like, um, 
you know, those things that, why would a kid be afraid of that? Uh, they'll get over it. You know, those little things that are, they're bigger, they're, they're, they're magnified right. when you're powerless, when yeah. you're, you know, uh, vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I think he had a gift certainly to see, you know, see, see something from a, a perspective that, from a child's perspective. And I think, I think it was mentioned over and over in the book, but he even said it that, the the ability to do that is because you remember what it was like to be you know that you put your there I think he said something about if we think about the child in us or who we were yeah. as a child it's you know it gives you perspective in what children must be thinking you have to remember yourself as a child yeah and like to exercise I mean so he obviously wasn't perfect and you think like his development of this empathy muscle mm-hmm. was I mean he had a pretty big empathy yeah. muscle right, towards the end but like. I mean, well, you'd think, obviously he would, because he practiced it. He'd like, right. and, and, like, how do we all practice building up our empathy muscles? Mm-hmm. And I think to some extent, he's lucky. He was born into a family that, that nurtured the, I mean, empathy's taught. I mean, that research mm-hmm. tells us that, right? Yeah. And so, you know, he obviously had a healthy dose of it, of learning about empathy as a child. Mm-hmm. But like you said, then in life, what he did was, through action, yeah. he exercised it over and right. over and over again. And kept in touch with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so you're tapped out. But I got my high fives. There out. we go. So yeah. I got one more. Yep. And this one's fairly easy. Slow down. Mm. He never. He would. He wouldn't rush to push something out, right? And so, I mean, there's many, many instances of that. I mean, his education, like he, he switched schools, and just knowing knowing that he would find a better fit somewhere else. Uh, for mm-hmm. his undergraduate, um, and then even just the pace of his program, everything else was frantic. He would slow it down, even slow it down even more when he got into the second iteration of it. Just as you know, storylines would get you know lengthened a little oh, bit. It took a whole week to do a theme, yeah. those kinds of things, right? Yeah, versus everything else is was you know, and and they did some contrast with how Mister Rogers' neighborhood was different from Sesame Street and like the frantic pace and like. But even Sesame Street figured it out when they created Elmo's World. We needed to create a space where it was slowed mm-hmm. down a mm-hmm. little bit, and just thinking about the the importance of that, and even and and even when he was addressing adults, and like the mo- the famous video uh, or the famous testimony that he had in front of Congress that fought for the original funding for uh, public television uh, with Pastore, and they mm-hmm. they do a decent amount of description of it in the. Um, in the book and actually found the video on YouTube. Yeah, I've seen that video. So, so I post, It's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, it is. It is. And I'll, it'll be in the show notes. I've, I post, I'm going to embed it in the show notes. Um, and the pace that he addresses the uh, Pastore, uh, Senator Pastore, and, and how it's just, it's, it's like, oh, you're in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. You're sitting on the couch with him. And he's just addressing mm-hmm. the Senate from that same perspective he didn't need to change who he was he didn't need to change his pace he didn't need to do anything and even recited the words to the, what do you do with the mad you feel song. that's right yeah and <laughs> and you just you see it and like it doesn't have to be a million miles an hour and i think we're all figuring that out eventually like, like slow is better <laughs> being mm-hmm. slowing it down and really putting thought into things and even you know do i have to is is my class going to be better if I do seven things versus if I seven things really fast or if I do two things really well? Probably the two is probably going to be better, mm-hmm. right? And to um, really, that, that goes back to the choices thing we said earlier, right? 
right? Yeah. If you if you if you you know make choice if by making choices you're you're so, I mean, you're selecting, right? And mm-hmm. by selecting, you're pruning. Right. So, in essence, it slows you down. You're not doing so many things. But Yeah, it's just, it got me thinking a lot, that whole slowing down part. So, anyway, those are high five. So, now we got uh, Imagine This, or no, no, sorry. Now you know. Now you know. So, a uh, what would you do now, given... This learning now. I know you've known about Mr. Rudge for a while, but maybe if there's something new that you took out of this, or something that from the ahas that you drew out from the high five, or and what my now you know comes from my high five. Awesome, very good. So it's mine. I would focus more on my interest in social and emotional development in the school setting. Spend more time working with pre-service and in-service teachers and creating safe and healthy spaces at school for children. Wow. So that's what. I would do, have done, and what I'm going to do. There you go. Because <laughs> it's and it goes off of that high five about making choices. You know, uh, focusing on what's important to me uh, and where I feel I can make the most impact in terms of children. You know, the, I'm a teacher, so the reason I have this job while I'm teaching adults now, I'm doing it because I care about kids. Mm-hmm. When I say kids, I mean pre-K through. To me, you know, for elementary, pre-K through whatever. But Mm -hmm. um, I call college kids kids now, but (laughs) and I care about them too. But the reason I do this job is for my concern about elementary school children. Period. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I need to put I need to put my efforts there. And so, what would I have done differently if I had read the book sooner? I think make that switch. Yeah. Or make that that. I guess it's not really a switch because I was doing it, but focus on focus right. on it more and really right. do more with it. Put that at the center, yeah. right? Yeah, I think that, and seeing seeing what he was able to accomplish with that kind of vision and, and making those choices and and not doing. I mean, he did have that hiatus point, but then he went back and focused in on his wheelhouse, right? And in the in the book somewhere, mm-hmm. they, there's a quotation above like using gifts and it's using gifts that you have to serve others mm-hmm. really right and that's one of the things that i i focused in on it's there's a, a verse in, in the bible that's on that but i mean it's not that out of the ordinary but it's using the gifts you've been given to serve others and i think that's that's at that center it kind of gets at what you're saying too is like how have you been shaped what are you passionate about like there's a reason for that and like now how do you focus in on mm-hmm. it and that's I mean, it's it's kind of unique that I mean he kind of had this vision from the get go that he wanted to wanted to help children like and he had music and puppets and like I'm going to use all this all these gifts mm-hmm. to do put this, it all together put it all together yeah. Um, so yeah that's so when I was thinking about uh, now you know is having a vision and it took me a while to get to this idea of like what what do I you know to articulate it and. Um, to what I really stand for, but then also to lean on the experts to do that vision. Like it, again, he wasn't a someone who went on his own. I mean, he had he had an idea of what he wanted to do, but he still collected the ideas of experts to make to reinforce where he was going. Mm-hmm. Right, and I mean, some of the greatest experts in the world on on the things that he wanted to talk about. So it's, it's kind of a, a a nice thing there. But to do that for myself. Right is to what are the experts? What, what do the experts have to say on how to get this done? And not just think, 
because I have just just because you have a vision doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to execute it well. That you need to you do need to lean on others. That other people have done things or have ideas about how to do things better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I would do. All right, scenario. Um, so this is an imagine this situation. So I have a scenario that you could help me with, or okay. if you have your own scenario. No, I, I, I came thinking you were going to throw right, a scenario at me. Well, I mean, so it's one thing where I just wonder how Mr. Rogers, and, and maybe you'd know, again, I didn't watch him as, as much as you did. Like, you know, I have a child who's, in a, and I had the same fear when I was a kid, that's afraid of the dark. Mm-hmm. And like... I still am. To some extent. You want me to? It's getting darker. It's, it's really we tired. should turn the light on. Uh, so okay. So how would or, or even too this morning when I was talking about the stuck toy? But let's just go with afraid of the mm-hmm. dark. Like taking the learning. Like how would we respond to a child that's afraid of the dark? Mm-hmm. And I might actually use this tonight. So help oh, me out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think the first inclination is to listen. And I think that's one of the things you've learned from this book is how important it is just to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tell me more about that. A lot of times I think as adults we we put ideas into kids' minds like, um, you say, what do you want for dinner tonight? By the time they even have a chance to answer, you're like, uh, pizza? You know, you, you <laughs> it's like a bombardment. Right. And I think this whole idea about Fred Rogers giving space and time and pauses and all these things that were reared on television. Yeah. You know, Um a lot of that is, you know, obviously time to let a child think. And then for us, we have to give time to listen. So, you know, what is it that makes you, what is it about the dark that scares you? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is it that you're, you know, what, what, why do you feel, you know, what is it that makes you afraid? What are you afraid of? You know, it's just this idea of listening. And so listening obviously um, gets you information so that you can take action on it. You know, like, oh kind of an under understanding but it also sends a message so if you listen to a child and you give them time and you ask them questions without i think as adults we're constantly trying to direct 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 children Mm -hmm. there's a lot of directing and uh, manipulating and controlling adults have over children all the time yeah which is not a good thing um i think the listening not only gives you the information you need from the child but sends the message that i care about what you're saying and what you're saying is important and valuable and not weird or not different or not um, wrong, you know, that I'm, that I'm interested, you know, and so you're valued. Right. Um, so I think listening would be first steps to me, and I think that's um, from the book, you know, how would you respond to the scenario what, from learnings from the book is listening, and then asking questions, listening more. Um, and then I think, um, and we talk about this in teaching all the time with kids, but... Um, acknowledging their fear i am really you know i I understand why you're that makes sense i you know why you're scared kind of an acknowledgement that it's okay to be scared that it's not wrong Mm -hmm. well you really shouldn't worry about that you know that's a terrible thing to say you know (laughs) and it's out of we do it out of we're trying to we're trying to help Trying to give them to bed. Yeah, yeah, or, or trying to give us <laughs> ourselves a break. You know, it's frustrating. It's hard work. Yeah. But, you know, acknowledging, I, I, re- I understand you're scared. I'm really sorry about that. You know, I've, and also then empathizing. I've been scared of things, too, even if it's not the dark. Right. You know, or I've been scared of the dark, too. Mm-hmm. And here's something that's helped me or, um, you know. And then talking about the things that they told you. I know 
the the part to go from there is just depends on what they said. Right. You know, it's very situational to some extent, but I think this acknowledging that you're there to listen, listening, and then empathizing and saying, I'm really sorry that you're scared. That must be terrible. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, um, I've been scared before. Here's some, you know, has this has helped me. Do you think it might help you? Right. And then giving some tools. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't have all the tools. And we don't have all the tools, but we may have something that we've used that has been helpful. Um, and then also saying, you know, if you, you know, next time you get scared, it's okay to ask for help mm-hmm. and it's okay to be scared, right. you know, um, but think about something you could do to help your, to help yourself, you know, giving them a tool that giving helps them, them giving them power. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I mean, and I think I, I'm sure Fred Rogers would have a much better answer than me, but, um, I think first he'd listen. Well, and I think. So now, and just thinking as you're talking, I'm also thinking about other fear. Like I teach teachers how to teach math, right? Mm-hmm. And so thinking about there's fear in math classrooms, mm-hmm. and to think why that fear exists, or just even to think, you know, I'm f- afraid to give an answer that might be wrong, right? Or just afraid to put my thinking out there. And I know we we've talked a little bit about the productive struggle, right? We mm-hmm. want to promote productive struggle, but that also means Showing some weakness or showing yeah. showing some vulnerability, better right. word, um, in their responses and thinking like, you know, how do I listen, mm-hmm. right? How do I understand their perspective? How do I see where they came from? Give and them t- time. Give them time. Honor what mm-hmm. they have to say. I mean, slow down. All those things we've been saying, exactly. you know. And like you said, with your son, you know, you're you're in a hurry. You're. I think you were trying to go somewhere with a toy uh-huh. or something yeah. like that. I mean, those things happen. We don't always have, but, you know, maybe we have more time than we think. We probably have more time. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm the world's worst on rushing. <laughs> so, because, I, you know, I have to be on time. I have that's to right. be, And so that's a huge lesson for me is, you know, you know, maybe, maybe there's more breathing room in every aspect of life yeah. than we acknowledge. Well, in a, a book that I did on the podcast a few, like two podcasts ago, um, was Magdalene Lampert's book in Teaching with Problems and the Problems of Teaching. And she, for her class, she does one problem. Mm-hmm. One problem, which they do the whole class period, you know, 45 minutes, 50 minutes. But they really take their time, and it's really about listening to each other, responding, and, and trying to understand people's thinking, even if it's, you know, quote-unquote wrong, like to understand what the thinking is, because the thinking still has value to lead you towards the correct answer, right? That we are all to in this together to figure it out and we need to under, understand each other. And it's, wouldn't that be great <laughs> to mm-hmm. do that in mm-hmm. all sorts of scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. Not just in a child's class, not just in thinking about being afraid of the dark, but there's lots of other uh, venues where that sort of thinking would be helpful as well. All right, so that's scenario. How about um, some for a seven-year-old? <laughs> How'd you do that? This was hard. I don't know why this was so hard because it's so, you think it's so simple. So what's the lesson? It says, how would you explain the point of this book to a seven-year-old? That's right. I mean, what's the point of the book? I mean, I think it depends on what you get from it. But I think, I mean, to a seven-year-old, the point of the book is that you're fine just the way you are, just like Fred Rogers would say. And that... um, 
I was looking for a quote, too. I was yeah. like, there's got to be, he's got to, he, he said it somewhere. You know, you're, I like you just the way you are is what he says, you know. Um, and I think that's the message is that everyone's fine the way they are. It's about, it's a message of acceptance. Um, and I think that's, I mean, that's the message of the book is, you know, accepting others and, and, but most importantly, accepting yourself. And I think there's a quote in there where he talks about you cannot, you cannot love others unless you love yourself. Right. You know, so it's about, it starts with accepting that you're fine the way you are. So I think that's the lesson to a seven-year-old. But the issue, I think the reason I had an issue with this question is summing up something like that to a child is, it's good for them to hear, but it gets driven home through action, like you said. Yeah. Um, it's about the actions you take with that child, the listening that you do. Yeah. Demonstrates that you feel that they're important and that they're great just the way they are. Yeah. The way that you talk with them. So, yes, and it's important that they hear it, and that's why Fred Rogers started and ended his show the same way. Right. You know, that's why it's important for them to hear it. Yes, hear it, but it's about action and about how they see the adults interacting with them on a daily basis. Right. And it's that... Um, constant action that you talked about over and over and over again yeah. and it's and it's done in many many different ways but it's the same message right it's the listening it's the um wow or it's the uh, marveling in an accomplishment or allowing a child to do something their way or try something out without correction all the time or um you know uh listening intently and all, all of those things that you do that are important that send that message uh, so I think it's hard to sum something up to a child. You can say it, but I think that I'm not sure they get the message until the right. action's been taken. Yeah. yeah, to, like, kneel down and tell my son, like, you're fine just the way you are, but I'm scared. No, get in that room. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's bedtime. It's bedtime. No, no. That's, so that's, it's just repeated, yeah, yeah. you know. It's, it's about repeated action. So, you know, the message is there, but... Um, but you need the action. You've got to have the action in order for it yeah. to work, to sink into a seven-year-old. I like for that. anyone, really. But that's pretty good. I'm just, I'm just gonna. I'm just. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna go with that one. Um, and we, I offered up a new one, a new category. And I, uh, was it? Oh, I, I have like. Yes, I have many answers. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to narrow. So I, I, I wanted to quote. And just there, the book is full of quotes, and I said. I was thinking a best quote, but I, I can't remember, like, uh, how did I phrase it for you? It was you? A, um, a quote, quote to, carry to carry with you. you. There you go. Quote One quote that you. stands out to you that may help you guide future teaching actions. Oh, there's so many, Joel. All right. Well, I want to just give me something. Okay. So the first one, and this, is, this was actually not in the book, and I know this quote, so I was looking for it. Um, but it wasn't in the book. But I'm going to use it anyway because I have other ones from the book. No, that's good. Okay, so this one, and it's really, there's the, it's the second sentence of the quote that's my favorite. But I'll read the whole quote. It's a Fred Rogers, obviously, quote. If you could only sense how important you are to the lives of those you meet, how important you can be to the people you may never even dream of, there is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. Wow. And for me, as a, t as a teacher, that's the essence of teaching. What am I leaving every day with my students? And what I say and what I do and my enthusiasm, my passion, mm -hmm. um, I think that's really, really important. So that's my favorite Fred Rogers quote. Um, 
there's something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. Sometimes that something's not great. Yeah. Sometimes that something's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously, you know, the important thing is to to, <laughs> to make the not so great ones less right. and the great ones more. Um, another quote, because I couldn't decide, and this one's just really important to me. We've touched on this before. Oh, yeah. uh, is I think, and this is a Fred Rogers quote, I think of discipline as the continual everyday process of helping a child learn self-discipline. So this is just hit strikes me because of my sensitivity to how I feel like adults just try to control children. And it's not because they're mean. Right. It's because they, they think that's what they're supposed to do. It's mm-hmm. their job. It's the way they're supposed to guide. And if you don't, and if you're not punitive enough or if you're not this enough or harsh enough or strict enough, then you're doing a disservice to children. So people actually think, and it comes from our puritanical roots. Joel, I could go on about this in our country, <laughs> but uh, it's, we're a punitive society, and it does not serve us well. Mm. Uh, and, we, and it carries over to children. It's this whole idea that I started off with saying that, you know, I had this realization that my students can be pioneers in the field of social and emotional development because there's so much going on that's not good, mm. that doesn't, that does not follow what research is showing us because the that area is new mm-hmm. relatively new right the right. late 1800s you know the late 19th century and the 20th century is really when it started picking up um so we have a lot in our society that's just not healthy it's not good for kids and this whole idea around um having a punitive society and all that kind of thing kids need structure but and they need discipline, but the way they need discipline is through self-discipline, is teaching self-discipline. And right. so I think that quote's really important, and I'll say it again. I think of discipline as the continual everyday process of helping a child learn self-discipline. Yeah. It's the teaching, teaching them how to control themselves, which is so important. Right. Instead of that control layer of being punitive, which yeah. is not helpful. Uh, so that's really important. Well, and at an institution of higher learning where all of a sudden people might be out from under that control, mm-hmm. some things happen sometimes, yep. you know, like, yep. and in, where you even think like, how does, how does a child respond to freedom? And I think of, you know, my own background, I was a teenager, like I didn't have a lot of rules, mm-hmm. right? And, but my dad saw that I was, uh, and, and mom was, saw that I was making good choices, getting good grades, doing well, you know, and active. And like, okay, so why, why we don't need to control? Like he, he's doing well, like mm-hmm. and making good decisions, but also giving. Like so, then translating that. So how do I, you know, think about my own kids or, or working with teachers? And how do we allow them to open up freedom within the classroom for kids to make choices and kids to experience things? And so, and helping them make better decisions but not making those decisions for them right right? yeah it's harder to do (laughs) (laughs) it takes more time patience thoughtfulness um but it works well yeah and like well then we i like to use positive i like to use small groups when i teach or having kids work together and it's hard like sometimes it doesn't work sometimes they copy sometimes Mm -hmm. they're fighting and something Mm -hmm. it's like but if you're going to have this potential for good and potential for teaching kids to work together, you, you're going to also have the potential for some bad things to go on. Mm-hmm. And just because some bad things happen, some, well, Fred Rogers falling off the, uh, the, the rock wall, like that could have happened, probably did happen, and he got hurt. Well, he had some consequence, and they're like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to manage this thing 
on my own and not being told just to completely avoid something. Right. And rather than I can offer some discipline for yeah. myself. I have one last one. Oh, another one. Um, and this one is in the context where in the book where um, I think Dr. McFarland had brought in um, in the center where young children were the actual early childhood learning part of the center where the young children were at the preschool setting and she brought in the the art the sculptor who was working with clay oh yeah and she just wanted him to go in and what did she say love your clay love your clay yeah yeah <laughs> like you don't have to do anything you don't have to teach anything just go in and in the middle of them do your art yeah right do, and so she um i think that's really really important and so um the, the quote is um like many like most good things, teaching has to do with honesty. Right. And so I think that's, to me, that stood out. And it's about, you know, that honesty is, can come in several forms, obviously, about being open and honest with kids and all the things we talked about, about how mm -hmm. you talk with them about subjects that are hard to talk about. Right. And uh, there's, I could go on about the quotes, like, what's mentionable is manageable. Mm -hmm. So such a great quote. Yeah. Um, and I think that was Dr. McFarlane. Yeah. where he got that from Dr. McFarlane, what's mentionable is manageable, and if you can talk about it, we can work it out. I think that's huge. Yeah. Um, but this whole idea about honesty, that obviously lends itself to honesty, but this idea that being honest about what you're excited about, your passion, right? That artist was in the middle of the children being honest about his work. Yeah. You know, and that they see that. that all they had to do was see it. Right. And they might come and ask about it. They might, but it's this idea of exposing them to honest work and honest passion, and um, so I just love that. Like most good things, teaching has to do with honesty. That's like I mean, uh, I've done this many times where like, I'll be volunteering or somewhere with a bunch of kids, and like I like I like to color with crayons. I, I really like a good sharp crayon. You know, mm -hmm. love it. And so if I just grab some paper get to the middle of the floor. And this I've done this in other countries too. Just get on the floor and just start coloring. It's just They come. They, they come. <laughs> they come. What are you drawing? I'm like, I'm drawing a, I'm drawing a puppy. I'm drawing a teenage mutant ninja turtle. I can draw a mean teenage mutant ninja nice. turtle. Yeah. Yes. And so and they just also and because that's infectious like mm -hmm. the, the the passion for mm -hmm. something I, I can't imagine this artist that's doing these awesome things with clay probably inspired some more artists. You know, maybe yeah. not necessarily with clay, but just to get excited about that and they probably remember that remember those moments of mm -hmm. seeing this you know amazing artist doing their thing and just you know if you have a passion like to share it with somebody or, or just to you know expose it to the the kids mm -hmm. you know or even you know doing some math problems and just asking kids about how they do certain things how they put things together I just go in and I'm just curious about what how they solve problems. But curiosity shows your passion, right? That's I mean, right. there's lots of ways to show exactly. enthusiasm and passion about work. Curiosity is one. Asking questions, right. uh, just um, enjoy showing enjoyment while you're doing. You know, all those yeah. kinds of things are are really really important. Or just even talk, talking about the books you're reading, like mm -hmm. we're doing right mm -hmm. here. Yeah. I mean, and and like getting excited about reading or, or characters, and like then they want to share something that they're doing. Oh. And it just builds on each other. But my quote, my quote came from just because I've, I've got two boys. I'm raising you have a, a boy too, um, and it was just thinking about this idea of like being strong. Mm -hmm. um, and not this, and I, not that uh, my daughter can't be strong, but just the, this idea about being strong. Right. And what is strong? When I was a boy, I used to think that strong meant having big muscles, great physical power. But the longer I lived, the more I realized that real strength has more, much more to do with what is not seen. 
Real strength has to do with helping others. And again, it's going back to this idea of action. But what do you do with strength? And that's there's a point made earlier uh, in the book. I mean, and uh, Fred Rogers grew up with a lot of wealth mm-hmm. um, and a lot of privilege. And like just that he could have made a lot other choices with how he lived. He could have made a lot other choices with what he did later on in life. And like, you know, like... He, you know, yeah, waving goodbye as Mr. Rogers go and get into his, you know, Lamborghini. Mm-hmm. That'd, be <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, You'd great. love that. One. Yeah, yeah. No, but um, but just seeing what he what he did and how he how he expressed strength and even thinking about what was strong for him. He was. You think about how strong he was to live out his philosophy in action. Right? How strong he was. Like he had a principle. Like he was not ever going to market to kids. Never going to market to kids. Mm-hmm. Right? And he lived. I mean, think about how much how much much more money could have been mm-hmm. poured his way if he would have just yeah. said yes to any of those things, you know. And or like how he was, what he was going to do with would ratings improve if he would have done X, Y, and Z with you know fast cuts more like Mister uh, or like Sesame Street or something like that. But he had so much. His strength was something that he did because he knew that wasn't going to be as helpful to kids if he made those moves. And just the strength it would take to do that didn't have nothing to do with muscles. It had something to do with principles and right. his uh, and the actions that he did based off those principles. Well, and then in the book, everyone talked about how they used the word powerful. Mm. How powerful he was. Yeah. He, here's this person that's a slightly slight-built man. 143 pounds in his entire life. Soft-speaking. You know, that's crazy. Um, You know, soft-spoken. His pace of speech was slow. Yeah. Yet, one of the most power. They kept over and over, you heard it from so many different people, one of the most powerful people they've ever met. You know, and like, where does that power come from? Exactly. So, I guess the power is, I mean, the fact that Maxwell King made the decision to, you know, or kind of made a push for capturing uh, Fred Rogers' story and putting it in this book and just uh, the fact that we get an opportunity to share it because there is something about a legacy and, like, how do we keep perpetuating it? And I, I hope that other people pick up this book and just that the Mr. Rogers, the Fred Rogers Center that's putting out more media and you can mm-hmm. look at it and see what other shows are out there that have his influence. Daniel Tiger <laughs> yep, neighborhood right. is out there and just other things that uh, we can do to perpetuate uh, his legacy. Cause I mean, as we documented, there's many things we've learned from this book and many things that we said, but many things that have been left unsaid and just knowing that uh, he's got that movie coming out or there's the movie coming out that can do more to share his story, but just that, yeah, the, the life and work of Fred Rogers is, is pretty amazing. And so thank you, Anne, for being willing to uh, come on and and share. Thank you. uh, With the audience. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Wow. That was good. Uh, And conversations like that are exactly why I started this podcast. Because I get to talk to someone like Dr. Monroe, Anne, my friend. Um, I get to hear her passion. I get to hear it on a fairly regular basis. But the fact that, one, she's willing to sit down with an hour and talk to me about Fred Rogers, which I know she has a lot of passion about, but just what's the excuse to do it, right? And so here's an excuse. We, we're going to do a podcast episode. So I get the excuse. I get the privilege of getting to sit down with her for an hour, and I get the opportunity to share it with you all. 
I think that's a win-win. That's the definition of a win-win. And one thing that I wanted to share with you and, and which is kind of disconnected from the content, but I read it somewhere about this idea of a duo, right? Of having these duos of someone, a partner, and so you might call it a partner in crime or someone that you work together really well. And it's someone that's good to bounce ideas off of. So like when I was bounce ideas off of or to produce good stuff, good work, right? So when I was teaching at uh, Sockbury High School, my duo was Shane Bean. Um, he's assistant principal now, but we started teaching together and I would have all these crazy ideas about how to improve my classroom. I'd say, Hey Shane, I'm going to go do this. And he'd say, yeah, yeah, go do it. I'm like, you want to do it with me? He's like, no, but tell me how it goes. And so I'd go do it and I'm like, Oh man, it was awful, but I have an idea of how to change it to make it better. He's like, I'm like, you want to do it? And he's like, no, but you do it and tell me how it goes. And it was like that over and over again. And eventually if I do something, I get it good. And then he would take it up, uh, in a lower, a little slower pace, but was someone that I could always go to and ask an opinion, a critical friend, if you will. And so when I left um, Sauk Prairie High School, um, I didn't leave Shane because Shane and I still talk uh, every every week, every Thursday now. Uh, but we used to meet together for breakfast all the time. But we we still talk. But you know, it's still that day to day person that you can talk to, or someone that you you work fairly closely with and do some projects. And and Anne Monroe, Doctor Doctor Monroe, was someone that. I work really well with together. So if there's projects, if we're thinking about how to improve a class or we've done a few large scale projects together, done some presentations together and it just, it works like she's, she offers different points of view and stuff that just works well together. And the reason why I'm sharing these examples of Dr. Monroe and uh, Shane Bean is if you're a teacher, you're someone that's teaching or even whatever you're parenting, right? It's good to have a duo. It's good to have a Robin to your Batman or a Batman to your Robin, however you want to put that. It's good to have that partner that you can work well together, that you're always improving each other. It's like you're, you know, one's climbing up, the other one, and then you bring the other one with you, and then they climb up past you, they bring you with, and you're just working together. It's like, it, it's it's this elevator going up together, and it's just, it works better. We work better together, and I just hope that you have folks in your life, like a Shane Bean, like an Anne Monroe, who you get to work with uh, so that you get better at teaching others. Because it's also good to have that person when there's frustrations or there's um, challenges to to get through those, but then also to celebrate some of the joys as well. And just so happy that the university honored her with that, uh, the Elise M. Hood uh, teacher for the University of Mississippi uh, in 2018. I'm just so glad she got that uh, recognition for her work and just glad that she was willing to sit down with us on the podcast and, and that I could share that conversation with you. And, but that's about it. You know, that's about it. That's uh, about all the ups, uh, all the advice I have. And, uh, just one other thing, I guess, is if you get a chance to go either read the book or there's all lots of other stuff out there about Mr. Rogers, but there's also the movie coming out with Tom Hanks, I believe on the 22nd of November. Um, we're recording this on the 18th, but go check it out. Uh, Go check it out. Yeah, Mr. Rogers is someone who, who's had integrity. And one thing I learned about the word integrity is just this: it's you. It's integrated. Whatever it is, it's integrated. If you, you are who you are when the camera's on, when it's off. You're in your home. You're with your kids. You're out in public. You're with your family. Whatever. It's a consistency. And Mr. Rogers, if anything, is consistent. And so check him out. He's an amazing guy. 
So that is all I have for episode 12 of the Amazon Planet podcast. Show notes for this episode can be found at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 12. Now, to support the podcast, there are many ways to support the podcast. Um, you can subscribe uh, in whatever platform you find these podcasts in. So um, you can do that. You can share the podcast. Maybe you heard something you like, think someone else needs to hear it, go ahead and email it to them. Rate or review the podcast uh, through iTunes is, is usually where you see that. But wherever you do it, if you could do it, that'd be great. Like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. There you can come on, comment on the podcast. You usually have a post associated with the podcast there where we announce it. Ask questions, bring up angles on the content. You can also share through that Facebook page. Um, and uh, you can also subscribe to the Amazon Planet, face, Amazon Planet email list, which you can find. There's a subscribe button on the Facebook page. There's also a subscribe button on AmazonPlanet.com. You can go there as well. Uh, also, we're still sell, selling shirts. The Be the Good shirts uh, are selling again. So... Uh, I've got it set up on Bonfire, so if uh, someone buys a shirt, it opens up a window. We're currently, again, we're recording this on the 18th, we're currently in a window where people can buy shirts, and they'll be sent out right around the first week of December. So if you want to buy a shirt, you can buy a shirt. All the proceeds go to support the production costs of the Amazon Planet podcast. You can find links to it uh, on AmazonPlanet.com. There's a link on the header for store. There's a link at the bottom for store, and there is also a link in the uh, in the show notes at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 12. Also, I have a Patreon account. Uh, you can search Amazon Planet Podcast through Patreon. Uh, so it just allows people to support the podcast uh, per, by the episode, and if you want to do that. Um, and also, so if you also just want to engage with me uh, via the interwebs, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, all on the handle at Amazon Planet. Finally, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode, episode 12 of the Amino Planet podcast. Thanks to Dr. Ann Monroe for taking the time to share her time and expertise and her passion for Fred Rogers. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for sharing some of his music for this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do 